Welcome to Physicians of the Beaten Path, a podcast where we've set out to bust the myth that physicians can't venture outside the traditional clinical or research career path. My name's Shad, and I'm an MD at Harvard MBA interested in healthcare investing and innovation. And my name is Alex. I'm an MD and a Harvard MBA, finishing up a master's at Stanford and a PhD in computer science at Oxford. And I'm interested in healthcare investing and entrepreneurship. Our guest today is Dr. Naji Gachan. Naji is head of global development in oncology at Eli Lilly, a global pharmaceutical company. Naji is also co-founder of Sohadi, a healthcare startup serving the Middle East and the host of the podcast Spread Love in Organizations, where he interviews leaders from across the globe on their personal stories and how they spread love in their organizations for people to feel safe to thrive and deliver positive impact for the company's stakeholders. He just graduated with an executive MBA at MIT Sloan. Naji, thanks for joining us and welcome to Physicians of the Beaten Path. Thank you for having me. Great, wonderful. Well, I'm really excited about this conversation. Naji, you've shared in an interview that as a child, you used to watch the Red Cross volunteers come to help your grandfather who was wounded during the Lebanese Civil War, and that these memories made you become a volunteer yourself. Reading the story, I couldn't help but think about the many MDs, scientists, and entrepreneurs who grew up and worked in settings where there was unrest, tension, and war, and how they were able to overcome this challenging upbringing and go on to change the world. I've had a little bit of a personal experience with this as well back in Syria when I was there. So Naji, you've said before that your time with the Lebanese Red Cross has shaped your career choices and inspired you to aim for a better life for people. So to put things into perspective for the audience, can you talk to us a little bit more about your background, your childhood years, your reasons behind choosing a career in medicine, and eventually venturing off the traditional clinical path? Sure. Well, thanks. Thanks again for uh, for having me, uh, Alex and Chad. It's it's really a pleasure to be here, uh, and I love the topic uh, that you are yeah, that you're working on, physician. Um, out of the uh, you know current path or conventional path, if I if I would say it. So um, as you shared, I've uh, I've rarely shared kind of my full story until recently uh, because as as you said, it's one of those stories of many uh, physicians and not only physicians, people, rescuers in the Red Cross or anyone who has lived through uh, tough moments. Um, not only war, right? Like we're reminded daily that uh, unfortunately we still have war all over the world, but there is also other traumatic situations where people would would live and um, and you know and go through. Um, so mine, yeah, when I was uh, I was born, raised in Lebanon, so during during moment of tension and war in the country. Um, and as I was uh, as I was growing up, definitely we um, as a child, uh, I was living really a very happy childhood. And um, uh, during even those times, which might sound weird, but I think this is part of you know what families, what parents, uh, when, when you uh, when you educate kids, how you protect them, how you help them grow up, feeling the love and feeling you know imagining all the time a better word. Uh, it helps. It helps you uh, move forward and push forward. But there is really one th- this moment, as you were sharing, where I literally saw the Red Cross and people helping people uh, at the most tough moments, right? It's really in these situations where 
humanity needs them most, where you would find those exceptional people, leaders, um, risking their lives to help others. So I saw this pretty early on in the Red Cross, in the, in the Lebanese Red Cross in Lebanon with my, um, with my grandfather during that time. And really at that age, I was young, but I was all the time thinking like, wow, it's what they're doing is really great. Like my grandfather managed to go through it, live, and he's still you know, alive and, and healthy um, thanks to the work they did. Like they would go through the bombs, take him from home, get him to the hospital for him to get care because he was uh, heavily burned. Uh, and he went through this with them and they would do it. They are all volunteers. They would do it for nothing, just for humanity, right? So this is, as I was watching it, I think I realized pretty late, but it really kind of got ingrained in my, in my mind. How can I give back to the community? How can I uh, be in healthcare and help people when they need it most? So as I, as I joined the med school, uh, which was not, honestly, it was not kind of my initial path. Um, uh, I did everything in math. I love data. I love numbers. I, I did everything as if I was going to engineering. I did also kind of my engineering um, test, but uh, literally three, three weeks before starting my engineering school, I decided that I want to be a physician because I wanted to impact uh, lives and help people, help patients. And I felt that med school will get me the closest to that. Um, so this is where I went for med school. Uh, and along the way, I joined the Lebanese Red Cross as a volunteer during my med school uh, years. Uh, and as you should said, yes, definitely the Red Cross not only shaped my career, for me, the Lebanese Red Cross was definitely a school for me. Uh, it was a school of life. Uh, I was, you know, all, all of us um, in the Red Cross, we were anywhere between 18, 19 years old and above. Uh, but you start pretty early on. Uh, you have people from all different backgrounds. When we talk about diversity, uh, people I would have never met, uh, I, I met in this space. Diversity from uh, background, schools, wh whatever, like you name it. Uh, but all of us, we were here together for the same purpose and sharing the same values. Uh, and the Lebanese Red Cross trying to help patients, trying to help people uh, in, in their toughest moments. So yeah, during those years, I, um, I, I, you know, we lived through again tough moments in the country with uh, unrest, war, uh, bombing, uh, and literally, you know, to your question on how it shaped my career, uh, I still remember this specific moment where uh, we were called to uh, to one of the busiest streets uh, in Beirut. We, we just got into the, the Beirut district um, and the, they called us for, uh, for an emergency to go, uh, to go to. But they told us that time that we need to get our bulletproof uh, helmet and vests. So we jumped into the, uh, into the ambulance. Uh, there were four of us. I was the leader for this team. And we got into, uh, into one of the busiest streets in Beirut and there was a huge bombing. So I, I won't detail uh, what we've seen uh, during that moment. Um, but literally, I was there leading this team um, as volunteers. And I had fractions of seconds right, to decide as a leader what should I do for myself and for my team. Uh, and during those fractions of se seconds, you know, there's this 
very uh, fast decision making that you need to do in one of the toughest situations where you're risking lives, right? Like not only yours, but the ones that you have in your team and you care about. Uh, and we looked at one another and we went in and we started to help and save uh, and rescue as many people as we could. Um, so this definitely shaped who I am. The impact that it had uh, literally was exponential because I saw during that day the impact that I can have not only as a physician in a clinic, but as a leader who is leading people who they themselves are helping others and they are trying to save and help more patients. So that was really one of those you know, peak experiences, if, if you want, or one of those moments that really shaped my thinking. And I started to say, okay, I want to have a larger impact. How can I broaden the impact that I have for me to be able to help even more people than a physician in a clinic? Naji, thank you for sharing that. I think I want to reflect on one point that you've mentioned around the critical role that your parents have played during your upbringing. And I think it ties to the idea of hope being an extremely powerful asset, especially in kind of these circumstances and these situations. I think I was attending a presentation by Rania Sukkar, who's the founder of Jusur, which is basically an organization created by Syrian expats to kind of work on the education of refugees and kind of students within Syria. And I think she was saying that the single most important thing that we need to provide is hope. Because, you know, when you're in that context and in that situation, for example, inside of Syria or inside of Lebanon during kind of the civil war, it's very difficult to think that there is an alternative out there that is much better and that you, as the person being there, can achieve that alternative path. And I think Kind of, again, that was a little bit my experience in Syria. And I think just echoing your point that it's our role to provide that hope as well, kind of to the people who, who come after us and kind of help them embark on that journey. So certainly appreciate your point on that, Naji. I think I want to double down on kind of your experience with the Red Cross and, and ask about a little bit teamwork skills that you've developed there and how you applied it later in your career. You know, many of our guests have talked about kind of this issue with medical education where the education system and kind of the structure of the curriculum does not push the students and, and you know, medical doctors in training to develop teamwork skills and teamwork mentality. And I think, you know, Shad and me, as we've actually finished HBS now, we've seen kind of a different structure of an educational experience where there is actually a very heavy emphasis on kind of building a network, nurturing a network, and building teamwork skills. So I'd love if you can elaborate a little bit on kind of the teamwork skills that you've developed throughout your experiences in the Red Cross, other organizations, and how you applied those teamwork skills in your later career. And, and perhaps what should we change about medical education to allow physicians in training to develop those skills more because they're really important. Sure, sure. And I, you know, I, I love this question. I have like several examples and stories I can share about uh, teamwork and my, my beliefs on leadership within how you foster as a leader uh, teamwork and strong uh, performing teams. Uh, so, you know, as I, what I've seen in the Red Cross, and I think it's, it relates, and this, is, this was part of my reflection when I 
uh, at some point in the corporate world thinking how, how what can we do as leaders to lead better uh, and for us to deliver results for all the stakeholders uh, so the first thing uh, and we hear it a lot right we always talk about this shared purpose right and if you think about it in um, in med school as you were asking specifically this question compared to what how we learn uh, in in med school uh, we can easily say we're all here for the same shared purpose, right? As physicians, as nurses, uh, anyone, all the staff in a hospital, in a clinic, uh, the shared purpose seems obvious, right? And in all healthcare, in the healthcare industry, we can also say the same, right? Uh, there, there is something, though, beyond that. I think being really aligned on what is the concrete shared purpose as a team is really crucial to rally people behind their why. Like why actually you're waking up every morning and making sure that it's not only conceptual, like I'm sure we're all here to save the patients. No, practically in your team, what are we trying to do? What are What, what is our larger purpose that we're trying to contribute towards? And then fr- from there uh, actually comes the values that you share. So are you in the right set of values, the culture that is created within within the team that you had in this uh, Red Cross that is a completely inclusive culture with very strong values uh, around uh, humanity, respect for people, uh, that is really ingrained in what we do. And every company has its sets of value and cultures, but it's not only words on slides, it's actually actions. How do you live them? How do you show them as a leader? Are you actually just saying respect for people, but then you just don't demonstrate it every day, right? Or you accept disrespectful behaviors within the team without speaking up and doing something about it, right? So I think those are, in the values, it's not only words on slides or on a website, it's actually how, as a leader, you're delivering against those. Uh, and, And then... Obviously, there is what you want to achieve, right? So once you have those, it's literally the deliverables that you uh, that you do uh, as a team. Uh, so th- the more I reflected on uh, teamwork and how we should how we should do it, and it somehow relates to the podcast that you uh, mentioned at the beginning that I have uh, on spread love and organizations. Uh, for me, it really boiled down to uh, love and discipline. Uh, so discipline might be easier to kind of understand in the business world, uh, because it's, you know, if you're focused enough on what needs to get done and you're really uh, relentlessly focusing and making sure you only have two, three priorities that you're focused on to execute with discipline, uh, it's easy kind of, you know, everyone would agree on it. Uh, Love might be a little bit more challenging. Like what does love have to do in the business world? And let me tell you how I got to this love piece. So if I go back to this moment where actually I went in uh, and my team went in, most importantly, and we risked our lives. So I started to think, what, what made us do this? Right. In the corporate world and many times in the uh, even in healthcare, you don't risk your life as much right but yet we we don't agree with one another uh, so many times and it's healthy not to agree but sometimes when we're at this ultimate moment of things are going wrong this is where actually instead of getting together and fixing it sometimes we start finger pointing uh, right and saying who's wrong who's right rather than say okay what should we do to get better 
So as I started to think on what made us go in, what made us actually fix the problem uh, at this moment and risk our lives, this took me to this, um, this reflection of, yes, definitely we trusted one another, but there is something even beyond trust. You know, we always, it's easy to talk about trust in the business world, and many times we feel there is trust, but actually you really understand if trust exists in the toughest moments. And usually in those toughest moments, what I've experienced several times uh, in, you know, in the startup world or in the corporate world, whatever, even, you know, you're talking about school. I'm sure in your study groups, I just went through <laughs> through one of those uh, programs. Yeah, you feel there is trust, but when things are not going very well, this is where you actually really th- see if people care about one another and this trust is really here. So this for me, when it took me to this idea of what's beyond trust, and for me, it's love. You can call it care, you can call it genuine care, you can call it candor, uh, compassion, there's different words. I call it love because I find that this is the simplest word that everyone would understand. And actually, yeah, I cared for my people, my people cared for me. We thought, we, we literally knew that we would be here for one another, for our families, for the communities, and we really believed that the community would be here for us. So once you start as a leader fostering this culture where everyone feel is cared about uh, genuinely, not only saying it, this is where in fact the magic happens. If you add if you add this to the disciplined focus and execution for you to deliver results, so this is how I see uh, actually teamwork. And yes, I think we lack this in many educational systems. And for years and until now, right, we always talk about analytical leader versus people leader. And sometimes one is seen better than the others. And and for me, it's really the combination of both that make the leader and most importantly the teams highly successful and being able to deliver regardless of the tension that we're going through, right? And we've experienced this during COVID, uh, actually. Uh, and there is a bunch of studies that have uh, that went out showing the importance of, uh, of leadership in moment of tensions and moment of change. And this won't stop, right? We're in constant change these days. So being able to foster this type of uh, leadership and this type of environment to make sure that the team can work together efficiently is really key. Thank you, Naji. I think this is great insights. And the idea of leadership, empathy, kind of trust and love are, are very powerful. And I think it's very interesting to think about how that links into patient care. Because, you know, I feel maybe 20, 30, 40 years ago, there was like this mental image or stereotype of a physician being all-knowing individual being able to do interventions that are very complex and diagnose cases that are very complex. But the reality of healthcare today is that it's becoming less interventional and more preventative and proactive. And I think like now multidisciplinary care is needed more than ever. And it's very difficult to imagine multidisciplinary care functioning very effectively without physicians having the skills to actually work together really well. And, you know, having those skills from the corporate world applied in, in patient management context. But yeah, and it's a, it's a great point, Alex, you're making. And I would add to it not only so definitely, as you're saying, physicians working together and you would add to this physician working with patients. Right. Because as you said in the beginning, it's not anymore the physicians who knows it's practically you have to you have to move 
like in management, practically with patients today, right? From being a coach, sometime active listening to sometimes saying and being more on you know the management side. So yeah, it's a, it's a very it's a very important point and yeah, good observation. No, thanks, Naji. I think I'd love to shift gears to kind of my last question, and it's about Sohati the startup and healthcare platform that you've created. So I'd love to understand kind of what inspired you to create the platform, what value does it bring for the Arab-speaking patients and healthcare workers, and how can our audience of MDs in the Middle East participate in it or learn about it and kind of be a stakeholder? Sure. You know, I, like let's start by saying I didn't create it by myself. <laughs> Obviously, as we were talking about teamwork, it's, uh, it's definitely... Uh, a huge teamwork also creating this um, this startup. So we were four co-founders um, uh, doing this uh, this venture, uh, Zenasfer and Saon and um, and Wasim Kari uh, who started it. And now we have more partners with Philip uh, Prezet also who joined us a couple of years ago to expand our offers. Uh, so I, it really it really started um, if, if I you know if I see it from my story and why I wanted to get into this venture and co-founding this uh, this amazing uh, startup we did some years ago, uh, it really is tied to my purpose, right? Trying to bring impact and helping uh, patients live better. Uh, and in the Middle East, as uh, as you know. Uh, as I was in the Red Cross and also as I was in a physician between emergency uh, room or as a primary care physician, uh, I, I saw day by day the lack of reliable healthcare information for patients. Uh, so as I, as I was seeing this and seeing uh, what we can bring uh, with, with the internet, which is uh, if you just put reliable information, but in patient language that patients actually can understand, we are able to massively impact their lives and help them take care even better of their diseases, at least to go and consult, to understand what they have. So th- it really started with this purpose of we're going to help patients once again as much as we can by educating them, right? Like it starts a lot around medical education first for them to be able to take care of uh, of themselves and then trying to bring other um, other verticals to this so what what we have today between telehealth uh, between online parapharmacy that can also help them actually take action consult or even get uh, parapharmaceutical treatments in some of the countries in the region so this is this is how it started it really started with uh, with the four of us getting together uh, and then saying, okay, let's, you know, we have this shared purpose, we share the values, and there is a very uh, great mix of capabilities that are complementary, right? Because in a team, this is what you look for, um, uh, some strong uh, skills that help us be uh, not only compatible, uh, but also that we can rely on one another for us to be able to move this venture forward. And And really, this is... This is how it started, and it's uh, it's been several years now with uh, several rounds of um, of funding, a community of um, approximately ten million uh, followers on uh, on social media for for Sahati, um, and still expanding with different services and healthcare uh, as the team is building uh, is building up. So, so yeah, you know, it's when you asked me in the beginning about physician and how we can impact it. Definitely, as a physician. 
I, I saw the impact that I can have, and I have so many friends like like you have, I'm sure, who are uh, still in practice. It's such a noble job on a daily basis, being able to help and immediately seeing the impact of the treatments you do for the patients you're serving daily. Um, for for me, I wanted to have this broader impact, right? So I I'm not seeing it in my clinic with one patient, uh, but I'm you know I'm I'm humbled and and proud to say that with my teams across the different ventures that I had in corporate or in the startup world or in in what I do daily, I'm trying at least to have an impact on thousands. 10,000, 100,000, and, and more across the different geographies that I serve. Naji, that's awesome. I really loved our conversation and uh, passing the mic over to Shad for a few questions on his end. Over to you, Shad. Thank you, Alex. And, and Naji, really, really enjoying the conversation and taking a lot of notes just for my own soul searching and wanted to dig into the, your last couple of years and perhaps we can finish off with what's coming up ahead. But you recently graduated, as you mentioned, from MIT's executive MBA program. Can you tell us a little bit, you know, what made you want to get an MBA? You know, what were the experiences like and what value proposition do you think an executive MBA has for more experienced physicians who may be in their late 30s or 40s or 50s? Oftentimes, many people reach out to me. They may be in their late 20s or 30s. You know, I can offer a perspective on an MBA. But once in a while, someone a little bit more senior may reach out. And I think they're curious why an executive MBA made sense for you at this stage in your career when you're already very senior. Yeah, uh, I, I'm not going to comment on senior and how I should take it. <laughs> Taking it positively. Absolutely <laughs> no, <joking>. positively. <laughs> uh, you, know, it's, it's a, you know, it's a great question. So I can tell you a little bit about my um, you know, how I ended up uh, having an, wanting an executive MBA, specifically in, uh, during the pandemic, I, I started this program. Um, you know, it's fr- from a, if you think of it from a career standpoint, once someone gave me an amazing advice, one of my mentors, and he told me, as long as you're growing, learning, and moving forward in your organization, why would you need something else? Right, like just keep on learning and growing in the job because this is mainly how you develop and grow. Um, so after med school, I've done my first business school in Europe. So I've done uh, the oldest business school, SAP Business School at that time, specifically in healthcare. Um, and, and I went and I, I was fortunate enough to have a, a great, uh, you know, several jobs in different functions, different geographies in the biopharma world, started a startup, uh, and I'm still growing. But at some point, when I came to the US uh, three years ago, uh, I, I wanted to um, I wanted to get again kind of you know this learning mindset even more, uh, get all, all really immersed into um, into school again, into learning uh, frameworks, uh, updating those frameworks, and obviously in one of the one of I had the opportunity to join one of the amazing schools. We can. We can debate whether whether it's yours or mine, uh, you know which one across across the river. But uh, you know they are all great institutions. So this is practically actually what I wanted. I wanted to uh, put myself again into a learning uh, mode, and honestly, also build a community around me and uh, learn from from other execs. So the main advantage there is definitely you, you lived. Uh, uh, MBA program. So at MIT, the exact MBA is kind of an MBA program, but for people who work, so it's even more, it's condensed in timing, but it's kind of the same degree. 
so it is definitely challenging to go through it with your work, with families, because, I, you know, it's, it's definitely heavy to, uh, to absorb this, uh, but it's way worth it. Um, the, the, you know, how I frame it, I think two, two things, uh, specifically to your questions on why and what are the benefits of doing it. Uh, without overselling, obviously, I'm, you know, I'm just sharing my thoughts. Um, the, the first one is having an experience and actually working as I was doing it was great. It, again, I can only talk about MIT. Uh, it's really around action learning. So everything that I was learning at school, I was able to apply in my current job and also in my current life. Right, through my experiences and reflections. So that was for me a really a huge, uh, a very positive thing to have. Uh, the second, um, the second positive, uh, the second positive thing uh, is really around again building this. Uh, you, you build your knowledge while working with people who are coming from so many different backgrounds. Every person has an amazing story. Every person had a huge leadership, wealth of knowledge, uh, so many different experiences from different industries. So yes, I'm passionate in healthcare, but talking, uh, talking with people who are coming from other industries, uh, from automotive, from uh, like Boeing, from the chicken industry, from different countries, from different backgrounds, having so many different lives and stories behind them is really of a huge value. Uh, and this is something I really want to try. At, at some point, I felt I know that I'm, you know, I'm, I'm starting to know who I am. I'm starting to see what I can deliver in the healthcare. But I want to kind of get even a broader perspective, not only in a new country I'm in, which is the, the U.S. when I joined two, three years ago here, I wanted also to get a broader perspective from different industries and people who have totally different uh, experiences than I had in the healthcare world. Yeah, Najee, that resonates a lot actually with me. That's one of the things I loved about my MBA program here at HPS. Even sort of a traditional full-time MBA program, they make it very easy to get internships. They make it very easy to work alongside your degree. You can take, you know, three, six credit. Instead of taking traditional classes, you can actually work somewhere. And so I got a chance to work at BCG. I had a chance to work at two different venture capital funds. This is something that's sort of unheard of. Like I couldn't do this during medical school, for example. And, and so I really, really love that aspect of it. And what you said about the MIT ecosystem, that resonates as well. I always, you know, joke around that you have all these very, very different types of people, whether it's investors, consultants, pharma folks, or, you know, even non-healthcare folks who are coming together from all over the world. 40% of HBS is international. And you're crammed in this relatively small area, and you're even more crammed during COVID. And you can't help but get to know each other and exchange ideas and try to move the world forward. I mean, I would have never met Alex if both of us didn't come to HBS. And so that's sort of the value proposition of a place like HBS or MIT. You have very, very interesting people from very diverse backgrounds, rich backgrounds coming together who are open-minded, who want to move the world forward in a somewhat ambitious sense. So I appreciate that aspect. 
which sort of takes me to my next question. You mentioned, Najee, that you're constantly growing and constantly learning, like a lifelong learner. That resonates a lot. You know, my wife always makes fun of me because I keep going back to school just as I start earning any money. And so I keep foregoing my salary. So hopefully no more school for me. But I'm curious what's next for you. You know, you've been an exec in, in pharma. You've done work in entrepreneurship. You have an awesome podcast and a bunch of other things, really. And, and you just finished your executive MBA at MIT that we talked about, which I imagine only made you meet even more interesting people who are doing incredible things in healthcare and, and beyond. And I know I loved my MBA experience, like I said, but I've had a lot of soul searching and a lot of what's called you know FOMO, fear of missing out, which actually incidentally is a term that was coined here at HBS. You know, should I do consulting? Should I do investing? Should I get some operating experience? Should I jump into a startup? I'm curious what your thoughts are now as you move forward and to the extent you're able to share with us. Yeah, sure. You know, and it's it's a it's a tough question. Uh, I think from a from a standpoint, we always look at what's next as many times like a job or a promotion or, you know, like changing companies or staying at the same company with a bigger job. Um, but honestly, my journey uh, through MIT uh, as I reflect on my learnings and what's next, it's uh, I came in knowing my purpose. I strive to make life better for patients. Th- this is my purpose. Uh, what this experience helped me see clearer is actually the how I want to get to my purpose. And this made me be less fearful on saying, I really think there is a way to deliver on your purpose and to deliver exceptional results by leading people from a place of love. So, you know, we know the power of data. I'm advocating for the power of data and the power of love because my biggest learning was data is only as good as the models that you built. And you need to build fair models for you to be able to make the right decisions. And for those decisions to be right, you'd better be making decisions from a place of love rather than a place of hate or a place of just you want to win, right? So for me, you know, what's next is really continuing on on this journey of trying to impact even more lives, but not only lives of patients, but also the lives around me, my teams, the companies that I work in. You know, and, and this is, I think, something we always underestimate in the impact that we have. Re- regardless which company, regardless of the work you do, healthcare or not healthcare, imagine the impact as a manager and leader that you have on your immediate surroundings, on your immediate environment, on the people you have. What would it take for you to change a person's day? It's just a positive interaction during the day, right? And you can have this. They can finish the call and be happy or they can finish the call and be terribly mad and have an impact on their personal lives. And we always underestimate this as leaders and managers. So this is, it's not a direct maybe answer to your question, but it's really what I'm going to keep on moving forward is continuing my journey towards my personal purpose uh, and continuing to try and inspire leaders to to be less fearful to say yes, I want to lead 
from a place of love for me to be able to change the world, help my people be themselves and imagine uh, the world and imagine better solutions and more innovative solutions to make life better for patients. That's incredibly insightful, Najee. I guess I had a couple of reflections there. I think the general comment around remembering how you make people think in sort of micro situations, I don't know if that's a term, but I just made it up, whether it's a phone call or just a one-off interaction on an elevator. I mean, that stuff actually does matter. I'm thinking back to some of the worst days I had. In general, I really enjoyed my residency days, but you know, when I had really bad days, it wasn't because I was overwhelmed with work. It was because I had an interaction that was unpleasant with people around me who I, you know, used to respect or, you know, maybe they were having a really bad day and just went off on me, whoever else. Those are the things that you remember rather than, you know, oh, it was a really tough day of work. I had a lot of emergencies. So I think that's actually very insightful. The second thing I would say is I really like how you framed your purpose is to make patients' lives better. But my sense is the how meaning like how you go about actually achieving that can be very variable depending on who you are in the system and where you are in your career. You know, working in pharma or working as a clinician or, you know, working to innovate in a startup or an academic lab in a basement in a hospital. Sometimes you're far away from the patient physically, but in an abstract sense, you're not, right? And so I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I just want to let physicians know and pre-meds know that, it's okay to broaden your understanding of what it means to be successful. If your goal is to touch patients' lives, there's multiple ways to actually do that. And yes, being a full-time clinician is a very noble job, very difficult job, a job that we need a lot of people to do. But I feel that there's this mentality amongst a subset of physicians that branching out means like, you know, you can't do that. That's bad. And, you know, we're supposed to be by the bedside for the rest of our lives. There's many, many ways to touch patients' lives physically or otherwise. And I just want want our audience members to know that. But this was a, absolutely a fantastic conversation, Najee. Just to finish us off, you know, how can our audience learn more about what you do and follow the impact that you've had throughout your career and are going to continue to have? Yeah, well, thank you. Thanks again for, you know, for this, um, this conversation and all the words. I think you're, you've been extremely generous with what I'm, what I'm doing and all that I'm achieving. It's, uh, it's really a pleasure and honor to hear this. But I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, on, I'm active on LinkedIn, uh, and this is where people most probably can connect. I love to talk to people, so whoever would connect, or even if your audience has any question for me, I'm more than happy to answer this. Uh, and obviously, our um, our podcast, so it's Spread Love in Organizations or SpreadLoveIO.com, uh, where you would have um, all the episodes and also some contacts form. Uh, you know, if if you if you want to listen to more stories in healthcare, so it's really focused on uh, healthcare leaders uh, who believe uh, in uh, in a genuine care leadership style, and they've been successful in their careers and delivering exceptional results for all the stakeholders and the patients we serve. Thank you, Naji. I encourage all our audience members to check out your podcast and to connect with you on LinkedIn. But thank you again for joining us and uh, you're welcome back anytime. Awesome. Thank you so much, Shad and Alex. Thanks, guys. Alex, that was such a great conversation with Naji. A lot of high yield takeaways. But the one thing I wanted to hone in on is the discussion around the why versus the how. I think in the healthcare profession, for the most part, we all have similar whys. Obviously, around the edges, there's going to be secondary factors that are very different for different people. But for most of us, uh, it's to make an impact on patients' lives, to touch patients' lives in some fundamentally positive way. 
Again, like I said, it can also be financial security or passion or a personal story, whatever it is. But I think most people are still driven by that desire to improve patients' lives. But what I realize now that I didn't realize even two years ago is that the how can be very, very different for different people, even within the healthcare space and even within the clinical space. You know, working in pharma or working as a physician or working to innovate in a startup or working in an academic lab, you know, on its face, those four things may seem very, very different, right? All those folks are working in very different physical locations. Some are working with patients, others are working with pipettes or test tubes or with yeast. But, you know, fundamentally, they're all fulfilling the why of improving patients' lives. They're just doing it very, very differently. The how is very different. And so I just want people in our audience to move away from the mindset of thinking, hey, if I leave clinical medicine or if I do clinical medicine while also doing X, Y, and Z, you know, how can I still fulfill my why, which is, you know, wanting to make a positive impact on patients' lives. There's multiple ways to do that. And a lot of our guests have shown that you can retain that core purpose, but can just do it in a very, very different way. But that's it for me. And over to you, Alex. Thanks, Chad. That's a great takeaway. And I really enjoyed the conversation with Naji. And I think my takeaway is around his response to the first question, where his upbringing in Lebanon during the civil war was challenging, but his parents played a very important role in terms of giving him hope that a better future is possible. And I think it's this idea of hope being an extremely powerful asset and motivator that I want to double down on. If you like think about kind of the context of, you know, individuals growing up in kind of countries with instability or kind of low income community and communities of color in the U.S. that face institutional and systemic barriers to their progress. Just thinking back to my experience in Syria, you know, when I was studying medicine there and working as a medical doctor, like you have limited number of hours with electricity per day, or you have extremely limited access to internet. Like if you want to apply for a visa, you have to go and travel to another country. So there is a lot of, you know, systematic barriers that go against you. And essentially being able within those situations to have a positive kind of perspective on life and be able to be hopeful in terms of, you know, seeing the light at the end of the tunnel and truly believing that it's possible is a very powerful and motivating asset. And, you know, it can be applicable much beyond the kind of growing up in difficult circumstances, because, you know, whenever you're doing something new, it's sometimes very hard to keep going and to maintain that power of motivation, especially that doing new things and doing unconventional things is hard. So think about like if you're a medical school and you're trying to get into venture or trying to start your own startup or get into like private equity, sometimes it can be really hard. And just utilizing and leveraging hope, I think is a very powerful technique here. And so I just wanted to kind of double down on that point. Over to you, Chad. 
For our audience, join us next episode for more exciting conversations with amazing physicians who have ventured off the beaten path. And then remember to follow us on social media on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at POTBP Podcast. And to catch our latest podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Amazon Music. And to get in touch with us, you can always email us at physiciansoffthebeatenpath at gmail.com or visit our website at potbppodcast.com. See you next time. <laughs>